Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitchmalady, is joined as ever by Dr. Sid Lowe. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm very pleased that La Liga is back and firing on all cylinders. I'm not going to lie, the first two rounds of fixtures were pretty concerning. Lots of nil-nils, lots of boring games, but it's finished. That's over. That's consigned to history now, Sid. Match Day 7 was fantastic. Again, had some great games. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. That's how I am. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And, and particularly if you watched Betis last night, which was a great way to round off Sunday, particularly if you lo- watched the game between Mallorca and Osasuna, uh, if you watch Rio against Cardiff, you know, then these are the games that you wouldn't necessarily have down as the ones you must watch. I have and, to say, they were a lot uh, of fun. Mallorca Osasuna was the unexpected banger yes, of the weekend. Absolutely, it was. Guaranteed that that would have, prior to uh, the weekend, that would have been the fixture that I would have uh, wanted to uh, swerve. But <laughs> it turned out to be extremely entertaining. These are all the results then from match day seven. We didn't have a Friday night game, so on Saturday, Alaves, who had lost all five matches previously, beat champions Atletico Madrid by a goal to nil at the Estadio Mendizorroza. Uh, Valencia scored in injury time. Ten-man Valencia scored in injury time. Marcos Andres scoring his first goal uh, for the club to draw 1-1 at home to Athletic Club. Athletic conceding yet another injury time goal. Uh, Sevilla beating Espanyol by two goals to nil. Both centre-forwards scoring for Sevilla, Yusuf Ennisiri and Rafa Mir. And then Real Madrid uh, dropped points at home against Villarreal. It finished nil-nil at the Estadio Santiago Bernabéu, the fifth draw of the season already for Villarreal. Then on Sunday, as we were alluding to, Osasuna went to the island of Mallorca and beat the hosts by three goals to two. Uh, it's the first time in 16 years that Osasuna have won three consecutive away games uh, in La Liga. And that season, they qualified for Europe. Ojo, little eye. Uh, Barca beating Levante by three goals to nil at the camp now. Now, all the headlines were about Ansu Fati, who scored on his return after nearly 11 months out. La Real went second in the table, beating Elche by a goal to nil. Mikel Oyarzabal scoring his fifth goal of the season. And then Rayo beat Cadiz by three goals to one. In Well, I don't know what the opposite of a fierce derby is, but this is it because it's a game between two sides that absolutely love each other, uh, two fans that have a special, special bond. It was a special game. Sydney was there uh, and Rio beating Cadiz and Falcao scoring for a third consecutive game. Quite extraordinary, El Tigre. And then it all finished on Sunday evening with Betis putting in another really, really strong performance to beat Getafe. By two goals to nil, a brace from William Jose, seven defeats from seven for Getafe, the bottom of the table, and surely the manager Michel's days are numbered. Uh, last week, our patrons got a Q&A pod answering their questions, a new episode of TSFP Presents Messy Moments, a bonus podcast talking midweek La Liga games, five morning paper reviews, and access to our new TSFP Discord server. Why not join them? It's just over a euro a week. That's right, €4.25, which right now is $5.50 or £4 sterling. Head to patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, Sydney, you were at a couple of games this weekend, but we're going to start talking about one that you weren't at, but I think you've been writing about Barcelona's 3-0 victory over Levante and all the headlines, everything, everything has been condensed down uh, to Ansu Fati and his goal scoring return. There are other things we can talk about, but let's start there. 
Yeah, and let's start there as much as anything else because it's really nice and really enjoyable. And I think it feels like this is more than just about Barcelona. This is about... It feels like Ansu Fati is kind of everybody's a little bit. The, the, the sense of affection after this game feels very genuine. The way in which he was kind of hoisted aloft by his teammates and kind of held up as if he was a trophy to be kind of shared with the community, if you like. And there was a real joy in him scoring. And I think this is much more than just player makes return, scores goal, because we've seen that a lot. This is a very young player. This is a player in a particular moment for Barcelona in which he kind of symbolises the hope for them. This is a player who I think symbolises quite a lot of the hope for the Spanish national team as well. A real belief that he will go on and be a vital, vital part of the Spanish national team. And remember, it would have been just before the injury, I think, seeing him play for Spain at Valdebebas and being absolutely brilliant against Ukraine. Just just tearing into them. And I remember sitting and having him on my wing, coming for his first half and sec- or second half, but and just kind of being really disappointed when it ended because you'd had sort of 45 minutes of, of watching this kid up close who's clearly very special. There seems to be something very likeable about him, a sort of a simplicity about him. I think the fact that he's still a kid helps with all of this. And I was telling Al before we came on air, this is very risky because, you know, maths and me are not a great combination, but I worked it out. And even if this had been Ansu Fati's first ever game for Barcelona, this had actually been his debut and he'd scored this goal, he would have still only had six players in history who'd scored a goal for Barcelona younger than him. And yet this is a guy who's already played 44 times and been out of action for nearly a year. And, you know, so this is one of the other things we kind of forget. This is a kid coming back. This is That's a guy good maths, coming... by the way. That is yeah. good maths. That's advanced uh, level TSFP maths. It, it, it really is. I mean, I'll be yeah. coming up with Pythagoras' theorem any minute now. <laughs> um, and he came, you know, he comes back and he's still only 18. Admittedly, he's 19. I think it's next month or the end of next month. Um, and he, it was, but it was the excitement of it as well. It was the fact that he came on. Can I just, I mean... I know what you're saying. I just think that I don't think everyone was quite as up for this as Barcelona. I think this was huge for Barcelona fans, but I'm not sure that everyone else was quite as into it as as, 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 maybe. I I don't know. I mean, it just felt like, for example, this is front page news in Marco Nass. That doesn't always happen when a player comes back. And, and scores on their return. That is quite telling. That is quite um, telling. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is something that kind of led the, the roundup shows. This, for example, and I don't know because I haven't been through and I probably should have done this, but uh, apologies, I've not had the time to do this, to check all of the clubs. But Raul Betis, for example, put a tweet out saying, welcome back, Ansu. And this is oh, a wow. team that's, that okay. wasn't yeah. playing against him. That's nothing yeah, to do yeah, with yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Um, after the game, you had Paco Lopez say, well, look, we didn't enjoy it very much, but I'm very pleased for football that he's back. Yeah. It kind of feels like there's, okay. there's a warmth that, that... I mean, I might be allowing and, myself I, to be carried away by this, but it feels like there okay. was a warmth that I've not always felt with other players. I think you might be fractionally carried away, but you've actually convinced me that there's something there, definitely. Yeah. And it might be that we need him. Like the whole of Spanish football needs this That's, guy to come back and be what we're hoping he's going to be. You know, this is one of the reasons why I really should record the podcast before I write my column on a Monday. Because you come <laughs> up with ideas that, that, have, that have passed me by. And, and actually, I, I, you know, I'm very conscious, of course, of, of Ansu Fati coming back at a time when Barcelona need him. I hadn't really con- contemplated it from the point of view of maybe La Liga needs him as well. That sense that if there is someone in La Liga who in three or four years' time might be amongst the best seven or eight players in the world, you would probably say him and Vinicius are the only two. Maybe Pedri. Maybe Pedri. 
but they're, they're, you, it does feel like they, they kind of need him a little bit. Um, and he feels like someone people are fond of. But the other thing, as I say, is, is just that sense that and we've talked about this a lot about, you know, we don't know what his knee will be like. It feels too much to load the pressure on him. But then he comes on and he appears to play without pressure. Now, maybe that's the... Uh, does an English version of the Spanish phrase exist? The kind of the unconsciousness of youth. The, the sort of naivety of youth, I suppose, yeah. of not being aware of this pressure on him and just going and playing for the fun of it. Yeah, and youthful exuberance. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. And he he comes on and he gets the ball. First thing he does, he takes he takes on a couple of men, cuts inside, has a shot, it's blocked. Second thing he does, he bombs into the penalty area, gets taken down. Really should win a penalty. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite the third thing he does. I think it's the fifth time he gets the ball. He goes and scores this ridiculously good goal because it's a really good goal as well. Yeah. Um, and. And so I think there is that sort of sense of this is kind of... And again, I've allowed myself to get carried away with this, I'm sure. But it feels like this is kind of the point of football, right? Ansu Fati was the point of football on Sunday. That idea that anything seems possible, that you can believe in it, that there's hope, that, that you can kind of allow yourself... And this sounds very overblown, but you can kind of allow yourself to dream that maybe it can happen. And the other thing that I really, really kind of grab onto from the weekend with him is that when he came on the pitch... You know what, if he'd done nothing, literally nothing in the game, it would have still been worth it to see him come on with that smile, which mm. is a smile of every small boy who goes to a football ground for the first time, even if they're not playing. It was that kind of looking up and going, wow, look at this. That sense that it was think, the first time again. Do you think that maybe it's not just that sort of innocent smile of exuberance of just the joy of playing, but someone who's had to also go through... Four operations. He's had four operations. So that smile is not just a smile of sort of innocent uh, delight of being out on the pitch. It's, oh my goodness, I've been through so much and I'm back here again. So this is going to impact him and it's going to condition the rest of his career now. Definitely. And that's also definitely part of the reason why people felt a, a degree of affection towards him, I think. Because there's an awareness of what he's been through because it's been a long injury, because there was a concern that he wouldn't come back, because he's someone for the Spanish national team as well. And also... I, I, th- I think we also then saw it, we saw it when he came on, I think we saw it when he scored, and then we saw it in the reaction to the goal, because I think his celebration was brilliant. And I think it was brilliant because, if you like, the, icon- the, the kind of the iconic nature of the way that his teammates lifted him up, and we were saying before we started recording, almost like, um, like Simba on Pride Rock, you know, as if you know, everyone comes and watches this guy who allows the light to come back in, who allows you to believe in this, and I'm going to, yeah, I am going to do this, I am going to murder this metaphor. I really am. I'm going to murder this metaphor. Who allows you to come back into this idea of the circle of life. So Messi's gone, but here's the next one. (laughs) You know, that whole idea of it. And that, I'm allowing myself to do that. Do you know why? Do you know why I'm allowing myself to do it? Because I already, that image I thought yesterday, I thought, ah, that looks a bit like the the Simba moment at the start. And then last night, one of the Spanish TV stations actually did a whole Simba um, kind of pastiche of him with the cartoon of Scar of Simba the whole thing and it was this is the horrific. Lion King by the way it was yeah, it was yes. it was horrifically overblown so much yeah. so that it was funny I mean much more overblown than I've just been I promise you much okay. more I, I absolutely promise you that but so there was that iconic moment but there was then the other thing and I I really loved the simplicity of him for though and you know this is another very old reference coming from a very old man but of him doing a pack cash and him running across to the edge of the pitch and actually going into the stands and find the doc- finding the doctor. Now, not quite the stands because it's just behind the benches, but going into the stands to look for the doctor. And I thought, that's the point as well. 
you know, the, the kind of the recognition of the people behind the scenes, the recognition of the work done by other people, and as you say, the recognition there of everything that's, that, that has had to happen to get back to this point. Pat Cash is an Australian tennis player from the 1980s. People yeah, who only won yeah. Wimbledon in 1987, I think it was. Started yeah. a trend, which actually some other players have done since. He climbed through the stands at Wimbledon to embrace, I think, his wife, but maybe his dad. I think it was his dad, actually, but I can't remember for sure. Okay. Uh, what else <laughs> did we learn from, uh, from Barca? Adesu Fati is the Lion King and, and, and uh, Pat Cash is, uh, might have hugged his dad. But what else did we, did we learn? Um, Gavi looks good. He's only 17. Bloody hell. Gavi is, is, uh, looks very, very good indeed. Nico looks very good as well. And I think that feeds into this idea of Ansu as well, by the way. Because Ansu, if you like, is the standard bearer of a new generation. So it's not just him. It's so they're Timon and Pumba? Yeah, I suppose they are. Hakuna Matata. We're out of control. Let's we are it. out of Let's control. Um, so, but... I think that those two, it's part of this idea that Kuman has tried to express, of course, that there are good players coming through. And Kuman had said the other day at that point in which everyone said he was being very pessimistic, which I suppose up to a point he was, and he was saying, you know, it'd be, we can't expect miracles in the Champions League, but it's a good training ground, if you like. We, we would do well to finish in the higher positions in La Liga. Whatever that means, who knows? We tend to assume it means top four. Yeah. Um, but he'd actually said, we have players coming through who will be as good as Iniesta and Xavi, which is a huge statement. Now, yes. I'm not going to make that huge statement. I'm much too clever, honestly, to fall into the trap of yes. hostage to fortune. But those two do look like very good players. There are very good players coming through, and maybe there is an argument to stick with them. The question of Mark, I suppose, is whether while you go through this transition, you can actually compete as well. And this is a good Barcelona performance, but against, against a very a terrib- bad Levante side. Terrible Levante, who have yeah. now lost... Every single game they've played at the Camp Nou is 18 visits to the Camp Nou. They've lost every single one. Um, I didn't know that. It's a good start. All right. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. There's loads of other things for us to talk about. If Remember, if there's something you want us to talk about and we haven't mentioned it on the pod, ask us a question for the Q&A pod uh, for Patreon and we will answer it. We answer every question. Um, on to the game that was played on Saturday at Mendizorza Alaves beating Atleti. I didn't manage to watch this, Sid. I was at a four-year-old birthday party. So tell me what I missed or what well, didn't I, was, I miss. I was at a wedding, so I didn't manage to watch this live, but I have watched oh, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I remember we talked about this, I think it must have been on Thursday's podcast, and I was telling you about the remark that Mario Adamoso came up with after the Getafe game against Atletico Madrid. And he said... I don't know why we're starting games like this. I don't know why our first half performances are like <laughs> this. Our first half performances are, are such a long way away from the second half performances. Um, he said, I think it's attitude. He then denied it was partly to, linked to the fact that they won the league. But to be honest with you, I suspect that that is, even at some unconscious level, part of it. Um, but he also said, and you can't say he didn't warn them, he said, we have a good enough squad that we can turn these games round. But it won't always happen. I think he didn't actually. I think the phrase wasn't "it won't always happen." I think it was "it won't always be possible" or "it won't always be easy," and that's what happened. They go they go down after only four minutes. They're caught on a set play again, and they've already conceded as many goals as they conceded in week sixteen last season. Now, admittedly, it's still a not huge amount. I think it's seven in seven, so one a game is not is not awful. Uh, it's not great, but it's not awful. But there is, I think, a, a lack of attention to detail, a lack of concentration, a lack of some sort of edge to them. And this time they didn't find a way around. Why didn't they find a way around? 
Well, in part, of course, because Alaves went to a five-man defence and made it very, very difficult for them to create. But I think there are other mechanical problems with, with Atletico Madrid. And let me give you that stat again, but it's an updated stat from the last time I gave it to you. Antoine Griezmann has not had a shot on target all season. Not only that, Antoine Griezmann has not only not scored for Atletico Madrid, but Atletico Madrid have not scored when he has been on the pitch. Now, it's not just about him. Of course it's not. And actually, there is a conversation to be had about Luis Suarez as well, despite his two goals against Getafe. But Griezmann is problematic in a way. Why? I think there are a number of reasons. One is because there isn't a natural place for him. And that, I think, is disconcerting for everybody. Number two, it takes a place off other players who, put bluntly, deserve them more than he does. Number three, I think that position creates, if you like, a, 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 an emotional difficulty for him and for some of the players around him. And at the weekend, in particular, one of the things that I thought was interesting, which I don't think we'd seen in Griezmann's previous games, because we've seen him play off the left, we've, played, we've seen him play off the front, we've seen him play at the front. This weekend, we saw him shifted slightly to the right. And um, I know this might feel like an obsession because I talk about it a lot, but he got in the way of Trippier and Llorente, which I think is potentially, certainly in terms of creativity, with the possible exception of those moments where Carrasco invents something, uh, those moments when Correa invents something, certainly in terms of a, a combination to create things, that is the most important partnership on the pitch, I think, for Atletico Madrid, or has been. And Griezmann denied some of the spaces into which Llorente would run. And of course, Trippier is looking for Llorente and finding that that run is either not happening or Griezmann's in that place or, or whatever. There are a lot of mechanical issues, I think, for Atletico Madrid still to get right, and they haven't yet. Uh, just looking at uh, Luis Suarez, I was surprised to see he played the full 90 minutes on Saturday, having played the full 90 minutes against Getafe on Tuesday as well. They've got a really big game in the Champions League as well at, at Milan in midweek. I mean, he can't play the full 90 minutes in that game. I'm, he probably can't even start that game, can he? You look at him, you look at the physical condition he looks to be in, and you think there's no way he can play three games in a week. Which makes me think that the decision was already made not to play him in Milan. Yeah. But maybe because it's away from home, maybe because you want a slightly more <laughs> counter-attacking approach, maybe you want players with legs at the top of the pitch yeah. rather than players who are good in the area when you're bringing everyone close to them maybe he also Simeone hasn't will... scored away in the Champions League well there's that as well exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe Simeone will uh, and I'm reluctant to say this because I think Simeone probably deserves more credit for last season than he's given in this particular context maybe Simeone will revert to type a little bit okay well, what does that mean well, that means ultra defensive slash and grab, a, a slightly more defensive, a deeper team, and a team more likely to look for the break than than than, than bring everybody closer to the area. Okay, uh, it is a really really busy time. I think it's six games in something like sixteen days for Atletico Madrid because we've got these two rounds of Champions League matches and a midweek round of La Liga fixtures as well. So the um, the fixture list is very, as they say uh, in Spanish, comprimido, very squeezed, very tight. So um, the squad will be rotated, I'm sure, uh, for that game against uh, Milan, which is coming up tomorrow night on Tuesday uh, for Atletico Madrid. Let's talk about Real Madrid, who drew nil-nil with Villarreal at the uh, Estadio Santiago Bernabéu. Before we talk about the game, and let me be a little bit self-indulgent here and say I managed to get to this game. The first game I've been to since March 2020, and it felt really good to be back. Obviously, it wasn't like it was the most raucous atmosphere in the world, because it was a little bit sedate, but it felt really good to be back. And, Sid, now, next time I laugh at you, and I do, 
often laugh at you for going to all these ridiculous matches all over the country. Remind me of this, because you're absolutely right. Going to a game, you see so much more. You see everything. I was just like, this is, I can see, I can see the players making runs. I can understand why he's going there and what he's doing there. It's so much mm. different. So, a little bit self-indulgent, I know. But yeah, next time I say, Sydney, why are you going to Getafe Elche on a Monday? Just said, because mm-hmm. I can see the game. I can understand the teams better. And you can. Anyway, um, Villarreal were pretty impressive in this game. Certainly, certainly the first half, or maybe the first half of the first half, they, 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 they looked really good. They created some good chances. Dan Juma was was pretty lively as well. And Real Madrid was sort of on the back foot. And then it felt like Villarreal said, hey, you know what, we'll take a point. And they just sort of sat back and uh, Real Madrid couldn't find a way through. Yeah, and, and that was slightly disappointing, wasn't it? Not necessarily in terms of you know not having someone beat Real Madrid, but that sense that Villarreal don't always take that extra step. When, when they could and, and they created a, a couple of really, really good chances and you just sort of wondered if, okay, now's the time and, and I think there was a, an unwillingness, more than anything else, I think there was an unwillingness to open themselves up to the counter-attack. Um, so to keep possession, but to keep possession to defend themselves with the ball in part, to try and um, keep the ball and use it well, which they did, but not expose themselves in doing so. There's that move that, Paco Alcázar draws a save from, from Courtois. That if he scores that, it's an absolutely wonderful move. Yeah. They're used yes, to ball yes, really, yes. really good. The move is brilliant. It is. Um, and, and I, you know, you just wonder. And look, it's not so much about this game. As you've said, this is, uh, what is this? This is five draws in six for Villarreal. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one, had one game. We're, we're week seven and they've, they've missed that game because of the international break. Five draws in six. And you think, it's true that there is always a risk inherent in opening up. That is true. And it's natural that, that managers can be risk-averse. Why? Because they're under such enormous pressure. But you look at those points, and in a three-point-for-a-win system, and it seems bizarre that, you know, this is not like three points for a win is a new thing. But every now and again, you do sort of feel like you need to kind of say to managers, hello, it's free for a win, you know, not, not just two. And, and you sort of look at that and think, maybe with a bit more risk in some of these games, maybe there would be some more points. That said, I don't think that Villarreal have been a a dull team this year I think they've been largely a pretty good one but there are those moments when you just want a little step again and it, it doesn't happen uh, a couple of points to, to pick out from this game uh, from a Real Madrid perspective I thought it was interesting to see Fede Valverde at right back uh, we've seen him once at right back I think at Anfield in the Champions League last season he he played at right back Militao Alaba and, and Nacho at left back he didn't do amazingly I thought could have been perhaps a little bit a little bit stronger but you know it's it's not his position and he really didn't fancy Lucas Vasquez at right back obviously of course he could have played Miguel Gutierrez at left back moved Nacho to right back and then you'd have broadly speaking a a more traditional uh, back four but he thought hey Stick the Uruguayan at right back. He can do a job. And he can, but it was just a bit strange to see him. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two two elements to it. Obviously, one is the position itself and, and who he trusts most in that position. As you say, one option would have been Nacho and, and Miguel Gutierrez playing. Another option would have been Lucas Vasquez, although there seems to be a doubt there. Although I think Lucas Vasquez has been a, a really quite capable backup right back. Admittedly, it's still not his natural position either, but I think he's been quite capable. And then and then obviously the other option being Fede Valverde, who I think in, in terms of the basic tools to be able to play that role, I think can. Um, and obviously you've got Carver Halal. But I think there's another element to this as well, which is Valverde deserves to play, but I don't want him in midfield. 
so I'll find somewhere else for him to play. And I think when decisions are made like that, and we've been talking about Griezmann a minute ago, I'm not sure it always goes well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he did squeeze in Valverde. He also managed to find a place for Marco Asensio as well after his uh, after his hat-trick in midweek against Mallorca. A little bit more of a low-key performance uh, from Asensio. And uh, yeah, it, he, had, he had Casemiro and Modric alongside him in the midfield three with Rodrigo and Vinicius up ahead of him uh, alongside Benzema. And Asensio in that interior position, is that going to work? I don't know. Um, and I was saying after the Mallorca game that I think it works on one level, which is quite an important one, which is it puts him in a more central position to shoot yeah. around the edge of the area. Yeah. That's useful. But I don't think he has the other things yeah. that you need for that position yeah. in truth. Uh, for example, I don't think he has the drive that Angel Di Maria had. Uh, I don't think he has the work rate. I don't think his close uh, passing is as good. Um, defensively, let's see. I, I suspect he probably doesn't have that, although I think you, you can perhaps learn some of that. I think what it does do as well, by the way, is I think it tells you that Ancelotti is very, very keen on having his forwards really opening the pitch out. So he mm. wants his wide wide players to be wide. Yes. Um, even though, even obviously we know that Vinicius comes inside, but he tends to get beyond people before he does it. He doesn't come inside at the start of his runs, whereas Asensio will come in at the start of his run. And, and so I think what we are seeing is, is the beginning of Ancelotti being very, very clear about his forward line, which wasn't always likely to be the case, by the way. And I think that in itself is quite significant. Mm. OK, uh, let's move on and discuss a couple of other teams. You were in Vallecas to see Fal... Well, not to see Falcao, to see Rayo against Cadiz, but also yeah. the, uh, the fact that Radamel Falcao was playing and starting his first game for Rayo would, uh, would be a bit of a draw as well. Maybe for... Maybe for other journalists, you would have gone to Raya Cadiz anyway, obviously. I probably would, yes. Had, would. <laughs> but the fact that Falcao is an added bonus. You saw him score this time because you were there at his debut and you, you yeah. left before the, he managed to get his goal. Uh, but you saw him score this time. And Listen, I'm not exactly impartial because I really love Raya, but they're playing really well. They're playing they really good very football. Well. Very, very well. Um, and, uh, you know... First things first, let's start with a tongue-in-cheek remark, shall we? Go on. Uh, Atletico Madrid brought back the wrong former forward. That's for sure. <laughs> um, well. I mean, genuine, genuinely, I'm starting to wonder about that. Because, because you know, you, you, yeah. look at, you look at what the condition that Falcao's in. He's, he's, he's unbelievable. Gonna... No, he's in unbelievable shape. I'm sorry. He looks fantastic. Yeah, he's in great shape. He's not necessarily going to do loads of things. But in and around the area. Uh, and his movement is so good. And his finishing is good. Um Rio are a team that are good for him because I think they will create chances because they will um, try and create chances quickly as well. So they won't they they will get into the area when things are kind of less set, if you sort of mean. And and they will they will get in quickly and they're very good at using the wings. And Issy yesterday was was brilliant. Uh, and, and he is and, brilliant. Um, I love him. Yeah, he is. He's he only <laughs> scored yesterday. He scored yesterday a brilliant goal. So he comes inside and he goes around a couple of players and he's sort of about six or seven yards outside the area. And it's one of those shots where you think, you can almost sense the player thinking, ah, yeah, sod it, why not? <laughs> and they go, woof, top of the court, top corner of the goal, a completely brilliant goal. But, but Rio used the ball very well, they're very direct. They went through probably a 15 or 20 minute spell in the second half. Yes. When, despite the friendliness between the two fans, the game got a bit edgy. Oof. And actually, Cadiz started looking like they were, you know, they're going to make them. Make them, I was going to use a Spanishism. I was going to say make them suffer. You know, what yeah. I mean? they make them really struggle to hang on to the two-one. But then Issy scores, and that's it. It's over. Um, Cardiff, in particular, 
it was really all about the deliveries from from Alacon and every very single good. set yeah. play. Incredible. Very good. Just, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the consistency. He must have taken, what, eight, nine, maybe ten dead balls. And I promise you, all bar one of them was brilliant. Well, Dropped exactly where it needed to drop. It was pretty it, much the fantastic. only way they're going to score. Well, exactly. And it's really, really important <laughs> yeah. for them. Um, but Rio have, have more variety to them. There's an enthusiasm to them. I'm not sure they will always be able to hang on when they're put in those kind of positions, but they did this time and they are the second top scorers in Spain after Real Madrid they are they have been uh, banging in the goals I think it's uh, 13 goals only Real Madrid have scored more they've been really impressive at home as well I think almost all of those goals have come uh, at home and uh, long may continue they're fifth in the table I'm just trying to sit here and decide which which European city I want I want to visit on Rio's European tour next season it could be <laughs> could be fun uh, speaking of fun and speaking of uh, teams playing exciting football we've got to talk about Real Betis and we've got to potentially bring back everybody's favourite hashtag always watch Betis because at the moment yeah. they're playing really really well they're so much fun. They, they scored two yesterday. They hit the post three times. There were periods, um, it wasn't the full 90 minutes, but there were periods, kind of two or three, 10, 15 minute periods, where it felt like they were, they just kind of kept coming forward in waves. And it felt like Hitafa were like, oh, what are they doing? Stop them. Someone please stop <laughs> these guys. Um, there was the, e, 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 which one was it? I think it's, just, I can't remember which way around the two goals are now. They got a lucky break at the end of it, but the move the, before it was That's abs- the second one. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the second one, isn't it? The move before it was absolutely brilliant. Mm. Fekir was, was fabulous again. He looks like he's really enjoying it. But you it. know what the thing is about uh, Fekir now? We always used to say, oh, he can turn it on when he wants to, but only when he wants to, and usually only against the big teams. He's been really consistent now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's doing it all yeah, the time yeah. now. Uh, they left Canales in, in the dressing room at half-time. I think that's about rotation, about certain doubts about Canales' fitness, but we were talking before about how well he combines with Fakir. Fakir continued to play well in the second half. Rodri is playing well as well yeah. from the youth system. Obviously, William Jose scoring. Um, it just, they, they look really, really good. And if William Jose can give them... The goals because they create a lot of chances and, and he said after the game William Jose was asked about it, he said you know you come to a great club the question was you come to a great club where they create a lot of chances but you know those chances weren't always being taken and he said no we still miss too many and he was talking about himself and uh, and, and they do but they're they're lovely to watch they certainly are um, at the other end of the spectrum Getafe uh, <laughs> who are bottom. I mean, they've lost seven out of seven. You can't argue with that. Zero points from a possible 21. But if you look at the results, they've been pretty close in a lot of those games to at least getting something. Last night, they weren't. They were absolutely outclassed. They never looked like getting anything out of this game. And let's see if, by the time this podcast is out, Mitchell is still the manager. I, I guess he probably is going to be. But I think he will be yeah. because I think Angel Torres, um, there's, there's a Spanish phrase that he's on it's una apuesta personal it's a personal bet from Angel Torres on, on, on Michel but then that's a little bit of a myth in so much as everything that happens at Hitafe is Angel Torres oh, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean he doesn't give up but he does to be fair to him he does tend to hang on to managers longer than a lot of clubs would Yeah, he tends not to have a have a kind of uh, twitchy trigger finger um, I think it probably won't last much beyond the international break if they continue to perform like this I think in Michel's defence um Correct me if I'm wrong, but they've played Sevilla, yep. Valencia, yep. Barcelona, yep. lost to all of those by a single goal. Yep. They've played Atletico, yep. lost to them to a single goal. They've been away to Betis, who are one of the form teams at the moment in La Liga. 
Um, I don't think they have looked awful very often. They did yet this time. They did this time I when they did that... against Elche, which you saw. Against Elche was yeah. awful. I yeah. mean, against the weird thing about I mean, the Elche game wasn't so much awful for the whole game as that they had a twenty-five minute period where they just fell to pieces. Where they were, you know, they, it was, it, it was like it was, you know, someone had put their legs on back to front. It was like they couldn't connect their neurons in their brains. It was just awful. And Mitchell was talking yesterday. He said, "Look, it's seven games." Of course there's anxiety, of course there's nervousness, and that, and that damages your ability to play. The problem is, of course, you don't get that back without winning. Had they been fortunate enough to have held on against Atletico, maybe it would have changed things. Not necessarily this result, but changed the way they felt about things. But the other thing that's happening now, I think, is that Mitchell is looking for solutions, which, of course, he's a manager and he has to. But that feels like that can often be expressed as a lack of clarity, and that's how it feels now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's all we've got time for for this edition of the Spanish Shorter Podcast. We haven't even had time to talk about Real Sociedad's march up to second in the table. But if you want us to talk about that, ask us a question and we will duly answer it on the Q&A pod. We've got loads of football coming up midweek as well. We've got European action with uh, Milan against Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid against Sheriff the Moldovan champions, on Tuesday evening. Then on Wednesday, Barca going to Benfica. Massive game for Barca. Villarreal at Manchester United, ditto. And Sevilla travelling to uh, Wolfsburg. We've also got uh, uh, Betis in action in the Europa League on Thursday against uh, Ferenc Varos and Real Sociedad against Monaco uh, as well. So... um, Bit of a glamorous tie there. Uh, in the Segunda, Sporting are now top after a 2-1 win over Malaga. They're a point ahead of Almeria and Ponferradina. Uh, Ibiza are fourth. They beat Burgos and Oviedo drew nil-nil with Girona. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be over at Patreon for the rest of the week if you need us. If not, we'll be back here as ever uh, next Monday. Adios. Cheerio. Cheerio.